Thanks to everyone who supported the show this week via Patreon, including Mick Cowans, Ian Mercer, Alistair Harding, Ian Wilkinson, Matt Lacey, Illico Elia, Roland Roberts, and Jamie Holland. If you'd like to support the show, you can do so from $1 per episode. Go to 361podcast.com forward slash support. Got any jokes, Ray Flanford? Um, jokes. I did have one, but I can't remember it, which is disappointing. Okay, let's move on then. Lovely. What about you, Ben? Have you got some good jokes? Feel free not to bother. <laughs> Horse walked into the bar. Barman says, why the long face? Heard it before. Exactly. That's the only one I can remember there, apart from the orange getting stuck in the middle of the road. It ran out of juice. I still can't find this joke I thought was funny, which is... Um... Okay, well, don't feel too pressured. <laughs> oh, here we go. Last time I was in Egypt, I saw a former James Bond standing beside a small market stall, which was more than a little bizarre. Hello and welcome to 361, a podcast about mobile tech and the world around it. I'm Rafe Blanford. I'm Ewan McLeod. And I'm Ben Smith. This is Season 20, Episode 6, and this week we're sharing an eclectic selection of our favourite mobile tips with a tinge of app nostalgia. gentlemen how are you very good thank you and you Ray Blanford first thank you yes no very well it's good to see you both we've upped the recording frequency haven't we we had a little break although listeners won't have known we had a little break between recordings and we've, we're all caught up now so haven't seen you in a while but uh, we're back to recording regularly you and McLeod coming to us from Muscataman how is it in the Middle East uh, it's very nice thank you it's a little bit hot 38 degrees centigrade here but that's um you know it's still very nice wonderful hello live from Muscat it's early summer here in the UK, so it's probably only mid-twenties, I'd say, here. But um, because UK accommodation is so perfectly designed to accommodate good weather, I'm sitting here melting. Also for the, uh, for the benefit of the audio as well. But see, that's because you don't have aircon, right? And I think if I was back in the UK, I would definitely have aircon, right? It's 100 degrees here. Yeah. Right. And then what's the temperature in, uh, in Hampshire at the minute? Uh, low mid-twenties, I think, probably. 20, 24, let's say. That's yeah. 75 degrees Fahrenheit. Yeah. Yeah, although in my office, as I record this right now, about a thousand degrees, just slightly uh, cooler than the, the surface of the sun on account of uh, having closed the window for the audio. So anyways, no chit chat this week. Let's get straight on with it because we did way too much chit chat. Wait, wait, I had my injection. Oh, we should pause had to celebrate vaccine. that. How exciting. Just thought I should say that, right? Yep. Okay. And I got, it was Pfizer. Your club Pfizer. Rafe Blanford, you're mm-hmm. booked in, aren't you, for yours? I've had mine. I'm club Moderna. Wow, so oh. we've got a full spread here, because I'm, I'm Club AstraZeneca. That's cool. Only my one sounds like a fun beach club, though. <laughs> this is true, but my second one is not until August. Oh, that's quite long. So top okay. tip, if you're in the UK, and probably by the yes. time this recording goes out, this will be old news and people will be rolling their eyes, but um, if you have a booking and you're over 40 for your second vaccine, cancel the appointment and rebook it, and... The government's allowing you to rebook with eight weeks break between the vaccines rather than 12 weeks as Ooh. they bring everybody forward. So there's lots of press going on about that right now, but it's a great tip. Yeah. And I actually, I've got my second injection five weeks earlier than it was originally booked, which is fantastic. And Do you feel invincible. 
I don't feel invincible. I feel slightly less likely to cause a major public health emergency. Old people get all the perks. <laughs> wow. I didn't see that one coming. But also I can say uh, you don't have to worry. Some people I know are a bit reticent to do that about, oh, what if I'm taking somebody else's first jab? But no, that's not the way it works. Second bookings are different from first bookings. So you can bring that appointment forward. What you're doing is using up the spare capacity in the system for second jabs. So uh, cool. So have a crack at that. Anyways, look, I'm mm. very excited about vaccination because it'll let us go somewhere soon. But for now, we're stuck at home. So we've had a bit of a chat and it's time to go back to our roots. We haven't done one of these episodes for a long time and we thought it'd be really fun to do a proper mobile episode, a mobile geek episode, thinking back to 10 years ago, the kind of thing that we used to do. N95. No? Well, exactly. So where we used to talk about what's best, what's cool, how do you do this, how do you do that? And, uh, you know, we get loads of really positive feedback about the yeah. episodes and things. And, and we've got some great suggestions come in via Twitter for future episodes as well. But I think we were a bit nostalgic for mm. one of the old episodes. So this evening, we're doing an episode called Try This, which is we're just going to talk through our top tips, our suggestions, our cool hacks, our recommendations, stuff mm. you should try and stuff we do every day and cool things that are really handy, might be fun, whatever. But essentially, back to basics, apps, yeah. devices, phones, hacks, the works. Right. What you really need is a bunch of very you know, middle-aged men pretending that they're 10 years younger than they really are. So that's, uh, <laughs> that's what we're doing this evening. Those were the days. Those were the days, absolutely. Yes. Do you remember when you used to be invited to fly out to a conference to talk about an app that could take a picture off your camera and put it on the internet without needing to upload it manually? I do. People I do. would sort of <gasps> suck their teeth in. Do you remember Shozu was the app that I, I had? Do on my Nokia yep. phone and he would take yep. a picture and it would upload it to Flickr. I mean, that was amazing. It was. It was like living in the future, wasn't it? People looked at you like you'd landed from another planet. It was brilliant. Yep. So yes. in that vein, let's crack on. And um, you, McLeod, I can see you yeah. You are the most energised of the three of us. So I'm going to offer you, Thank you the choice of any category, any suggestion right. to kick us off. Okay. Can we start where it all began, actually? Um, I, I wonder. And can we go to apps that you've used the longest? Now, what, what I require you to do here is to get your iPhone. I presume it's iPhones, gentlemen. Yes, I can see some nodding heads. Yes, iPhones then. Can you get your iPhones open and can you go into the purchased bit category and go all the way, scroll all the way down to the bottom? Because I would like to know what's your very first, cause the, the way Apple does this is the first app that you downloaded or purchased. So downloaded or purchased will be right at the bottom. And I'm really interested to know what date was it and and what what were the apps? Give us a yeah. What, what's the what's the right one right at the bottom? I'll go first, right? I'll go first, right? Since I'm uh, hope hope I there's no no embarrassment here, right? Okay, so right at the bottom for me, it was first of August two thousand eight. The first app I ever downloaded, Google, right at the bottom. So go on. Interesting. That's that's my second app, and I think Apple. I know we're very Apple centric here, but I'm just going to embrace it because we're talking about what we use, not what mm. you know, not a representative view of the whole market. I think Apple's records must only go back. To that point, I'm trying to think, was that when the App Store was first introduced? Available, or, or, or you got your phone? Was that when you got your iPhone? Because my first app downloaded was Evernote, which I now still use, and I'll talk about why I still use it in a minute. Right. But my second app was Google, the Google app, which has changed a lot. Yeah, what date, dates? What's, what date did you have? That was the 12th of July, 2008. Wow. So we're going to do a live fact check Whilst Rafe Blanford tells us his first app, I'm going to do a quick fact check to see when the Apple App Store launched. So mine is um, rather embarrassingly Carling Tap, 
which was on the <laughs> 18th of July 2008. I'm pretty sure that's when I had a, uh, an iPod Touch or something like that with the App Store becoming available. And this was one of Interesting. the beer drinking apps, which the irony that I still don't drink, but clearly felt the need to simulate beer drinking with the... Look, just for, sorry, Rafe, Rafe, we've got to remind us, what was the Carling app? Because some people may not remember that. So I remember it as kind of a simulation of a glass of beer on the screen. And when you tipped your phone, it would appear as if you were drinking it. So you could be pretending to drink a virtual pint. And there you go. We've stumbled across some history. The iPhone App Store opened on the 10th of July, 2008. Oh. On July 11th, the iPhone 3G was released and came preloaded with support for the App Store. Initially, apps could be free or paid. In 2009, Apple added the ability to do app purchases. So there you go. That's why we've all got apps dating back to July or August 2008, because that's wow. when we got our iPhone 3Gs and started to download apps. Interesting. So, Rafe, I presume you're not still using the Carling Beer app with its accelerometer demo. No, wait, wait, let's just check. I, I presume you've got that Carling app as well. I, I, I downloaded the Carling. No, I, I was far too grown up for that. Carling Tap, 1st of August. I got that. Yeah. As well. Yeah, so I downloaded a load on the 1st of August. Yeah. I've then got Last FM probably as one of my Oh, I've got that. Serious apps. What, and date, then what date, Rafe? What date? That's what date? on the 18th of July as well. And then it's going to things like uh, Google and IMDb. But since we're doing nostalgia, I'm going to do that nerdy thing and go, yeah, that obviously wasn't the first app I downloaded because I was using apps way before uh, that on the Symbian devices. And on yeah. the very first one that I can say I purchased myself, which was the Sony Ericsson P800, which I'm pretty sure with 2000 or if not 2001. And yeah. I can remember one of the first apps I actually bought for that as opposed to free ones, of which there were a number, was a kind of London tube and map app. Ah. And so, you know, that would have been, you know, as I said, 10 years-ish prior to the apps on the uh, iPod Touch, which is where I'd have been having these uh, installed. So I didn't have the early iPhones. It's funny, actually, that you, you talk about how early on you're using it for transit, because I was having a nostalgic moment here. Just a few above the bottom, Ewan, is the Barcelona subway app that you and I used to navigate oh. our way from the apartment to Mobile World Congress wow. when we used to go to Barcelona and cover the events there. What date was that? What date was that? So that was February 2009. There we go. But <laughs> I, you know, if I look further up, I'm actually still using loads of transit and planning apps. And if I think about CityMapper and Waze, which are the two transit yes. apps that I use the most, CityMapper for navigating around London with brilliant multimodal bikes and trains and walking and all those sorts of things. And then Waze, which is just, you know, perfect for long distance car journeys because it's got great traffic estimating in. The apps back then were a little bit more like Rave said, which were just sort of maps in your phone, but actually still just a core use case, just got a little bit more advanced. First of all, I want to give a shout out to AIM, A-I-M. You remember AIM, A-I-M? I don't. Messaging. AOL Instant Messenger. Uh, oh, no? wow. Okay. Yes, I do remember that. That's in my 1st of August that I downloaded. I just want to wonder, what game? Can you scroll through and show me what game? Cowabunga, which I think was a cow chucking game. Wow. And it's interesting, like Ben, plenty that I then start using Kindle and things like that start coming into it as well. So I think in terms of apps I've used the longest, it would be those sort of Google, Kindle, and of course now the number of apps that the average person installed has sort of started dropping a bit. But I've still got multiple pages of apps, some of which I don't use that frequently, but there's still probably 20 or 30 I use on a 
weekly basis. Yeah. Sim City was the first game, and then followed quickly by Flight Control. Don't know if you remember Flight Control. I loved that game. 69 pence. I do, actually. Story. It's funny. You must have recommended it to me because it's right there at the beginning of the list for me as well. That was a sort of a landing a plane's kind of, it was like Snake yeah. on steroids, wasn't it? Because you just had to make the things not bump into each other. Yeah, basically, yeah. So, okay, bit of nostalgia, lovely. Yeah. Job done. Right. What do yep. you used to use? Which of those on your list do you still use? Oof. So, I'll talk while you ever think then, yep. because I wanted to say a little bit about Evernote. Mm. And I think I said on the podcast last season that I was getting pretty fed up with Evernote. And so actually, I just wanted to sort of flag that I'm still using it. And I went off and I tried to use lots of different services, but I've come back to Evernote and I'm still using it. And although it's not right. perfect and it's having a big rebuild, there we go. Whereas it, it's when I was using it before July 2008 on the desktop, but from the 12th of July 2008, that's you know something I put on my phone on the first day. And it's for one reason and one reason only, which is it's where I keep all of the documents that I get, like yes. bank statements or letters or correspondence, any of that stuff that comes through the front door in an official looking envelope. It goes straight either under the phone camera for a photo into Evernote or straight through the scanner. And for me, the one thing that I still love Evernote for, despite all its other failings, mm. is the fact that when you put a PDF into Evernote, Evernote automatically character recognizes it and you can search for the text in that PDF. You don't have to have done anything yourself. You don't have to OCR it or do any preparation like you do with other services. It just goes straight in. They do it in the background. It's a brilliant feature. Even as recently as this weekend, doing a little bit of financial management, couldn't find some paperwork for some pensions I needed, got my pensions account number, typed it in. It's right there. And it found it in a wonky old PDF from years and years and years ago that I hadn't even put a name or a title or filed away. It was just in a stack marked, you know, file this from years ago but it's there and I could search it. And it wasn't searchable when it went into Evernote. So, you know, there are so many things I don't like about Evernote now, including their new desktop apps, but it just works like that. And I think, you know, as long as they enable that feature, which is sort of server-based scanning, mm. I love it because I did try, I tried to keep it and I tried a whole bunch of other apps that stored things on Dropbox and they're fine. But when you want to search for documents, they require you to have added the metadata yourself. So, Top recommendation. Yeah. Evernote's incredibly cheap to use. Got a good sharing. I share some folders with my wife who's got the app on her device as well and we use all our household stuff in mm. there. So how about you guys? What do you use longest and why? Rafe? I've mentioned it already. It's Kindle and I still use that pretty much you know, every other day when I want to do some reading from Kindle content. And that dates back to very near the beginning. I'm not sure the exact date. And it's just one of those apps that stood the test of time why do you still use Kindle rather than buying PDFs or eBooks or something kind of in an open format? Because mm. of the three of us, I always had you pegged as the person who would be most likely to go through some inconvenience on principle to to get, you know, kind of to do the right thing, to buy it from the publisher or to buy it directly from the author and not give Johnny Amazon your pounds. <laughs> I do do that quite a bit. And I still buy a lot of paper books and try and do that from a local bookshop whenever I can. But I do also, and have for a long time, had digital versions. And this was back when I was actually trying to cut down on the number of physical bits of media that I had. And that was including like DVDs, CDs. CDs, and that was a time yeah, where before yeah. the streaming services were big. But the Kindle, it just worked. So I guess my principles uh, only went so far. But it was certain types of reading as well. It tended to be kind of not throwaway fiction, but, you know, and I you know, still like having 
book version of references and things like that. But they did a good job and it just worked. And in my case, that was also about having a Kindle device itself earlier on, but I didn't always have that with me, whereas I nearly always had my phone with me. And therefore, it was a thing I could just pull out and read from. And from very early on, the kind of that back and forth in terms of where you'd read to and that whisper sync was very good. Cool. You're in the same question. And then I'm going to do a warning. We're going to do a quick fire tip. I want a quick one recommendation, one idea, one tip, one hack or something really quick. So Ewan, okay. app you've used the longest? Uh, so look, Evernote is in there. That's the one I always download the first time, basically. And then genuinely, New York Times and Bloomberg. So Bloomberg is my fourth downloaded app. Uh, yeah, the, the fourth one I downloaded, New York Times is the sixth. You're so on brand. Well, just, you know, I can't pretend, right? That's the reality. So it goes Google, Facebook, Shazam, Bloomberg, iTunes Remote, New York Times. Okay. Right. So the, uh, just the, the yeah, okay, might, might be on brand, but the, those are apps I still use today. I mean, the, the, yeah, the news ones. Okay. Quick fire tip then. Something I've been doing recently, and I want a, a quick tip from you guys. If, like me, you use AirPods or noise-canceling headphones, mm-hmm. they are brilliant for listening to music, but they're terrible when you go on a conference call. Because they're noise cancelling, you can't hear your own voice. And it feels like you're talking with your fingers in your ears. And it means it's really hard for you to get the volume of your voice and talk clearly. So top tip, if you use an iPhone, which I do, use the Shortcuts app. And you can make a shortcut which sets the transparency mode, that's like the noise cancelling mode of your headphones, into transparent mode. What that means is you can hear your own voice naturally in the room. And then if you're really echoey, or if you have loads of background noise and people won't be able to hear you, you could be aware because... You can hear that. You can hear that. Because actually, when you're listening to music, you want the noise cancelled, you want the noise to go away. But when you're on a call, you want to know if there's distracting background noise. So I've got a little shortcut. It's my meeting shortcut. It has two steps. I press it, changes my Bluetooth connection to AirPods, and then it changes the transparency mode to listen through, no noise cancelling. Wow, that's very nice. That's my top tip if you're doing meetings on your mobile. Ewan, you got a tip? Okay, mine's a very boring pedestrian one, but please, 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 are you using a proper charger and a proper cable, right? I know it might sound, you know, really pedestrian, but the amount of people that I meet who say, oh, my phone's out of battery, you know, even still today, and they sell you and they bring out the charger and it's some, you know, 20 cent, 20 pence thing that, you know, I'm concerned will probably explode and explode their phone. I just don't think it, it helps the battery at all. It doesn't help the phone when it's trying to leach power out of the you know, really, really poor quality cable. So I, I would like just to remind everyone that you know, in a little while we'll be doing um, wireless charging of everything, I, I presume. But I think it's really, really important to make sure if you, you know, have you got the right cable? Have you got the right charger? Is that too boring? No, not at all. I agree with you, actually. And I was just busy looking for, if you go into nomadgoods.com, I've got this lightning cable i love it's got like a little cylinder in the middle of the lightning cable i'll put a link in the show notes and the cylinder is a battery so it means when i'm at work i can plug my phone into my laptop or into the desk and charge it but i'm also charging the battery and then when i'm on a train or if i'm later i need to top it up i can just use the battery and it's always charged up because it's always charging when i'm charging my phone what does that get you an extra 10 percent or something Battery-wise, uh, no more than that. It's a, it's a fairly it's a fairly large battery. It is. I'm just to give the capacity. It's 2,800 milliamp hours. So oh, okay. it's not like a massive power bank, but for a little portable kind of cable alternative, it'll do half an iPhone battery. Yeah, which is great. So uh, no, I agree with you. Good top tip, uh, Ray Blanford. 
Well, I'm going to build on your shortcuts one and just highlight the fact that one of the features of accessibility on the iPhone is that you can double or triple tack the back of the device and have that activate a shortcut. And so you could use Ben's meeting one for AirPods Pro. Mm, That's good. You can also set it to open an app or have a WhatsApp message start or whatever is your preferred thing. I do have mine set for doing mute which there are other ways to achieve the same thing. And I have to admit, I don't always have massive reliability on the uh, the tapping, depending on where the phone is resting and things like that. But there's a whole bunch of things in accessibility that are actually quite helpful just generally for improving you know, shortcuts or things that you can do on the device, and that can be magnification mode and things like that. Well worth checking out. Cool. Yep. No, I love shortcuts. They are awkward to write, and I know there's people who do massive, long, complicated shortcuts. And uh, Federico Vitici, who writes Mac Stories, has a, um, a whole library. So if you check out macstories.net, there's a whole library of shortcuts you can download there. And some of those are incredibly complex, but some of those one-step, two-step ones, because you can put a shortcut as an icon on your home screen, and you can have a, you know, I'm in a meeting shortcut on your phone, which is fantastic, particularly if um, when you go back to traveling, as I hope to one day, you're doing your meetings from your phone rather than your desktop. Okay, let's stay on the theme of productivity, mm. and I, let's do some productivity recommendations. I'll go first to give you a moment to scrabble about in the list that I know you've definitely prepared, mm. and let's talk productivity hacks. So first up, and this sounds really basic, but actually I was chatting to Mark, our editor, during the week, and he wasn't aware of this, so it might be that it's it slipped off the radar. Make sure that everywhere you get your SMS, iMessage, or WhatsApps, you also get them on the computer that you work on as well. So I think people forget that if you use WhatsApp a lot, you can mm. also use WhatsApp on the web or you can use WhatsApp as an app on your desktop. You get a QR code which pops up on the screen and you take a photo of it with the WhatsApp app on your phone. Mm. And then you can WhatsApp via your phone appearing to be you through the web or through the app. And similarly, with my iPhone, I have through the settings, you can set it up to forward SMS messages and for iMessages to come through on the Messages app on your Mac. And Mm. people will be thinking, yeah, doesn't it do that by default? Well, iMessages, yes. So the blue bubbles, yes, but not SMS messages. So jump into the settings, turn them on. That's a good one. That's a good one. And I really appreciate the convenience of not having to dig out my phone and do small button typing when I'm doing urgent comms during the working week, particularly where I might be WhatsApping or texting colleagues and you need to be a little bit more precise about what you're typing. So get that forwarding turned on. I just want to build on that um, because you can also do WhatsApp desktop on your iPad because in some cases when you're in a big meeting and you need to quickly get a message to someone and you're picking up your phone isn't, you know, appropriate. Yeah, it's the wrong message to send sometimes. On your your iPad where you're maybe taking notes, you can then quickly alt tab as the phrase goes over onto Safari or any browser, type in web.whatsapp.com. You do have to have it set up, of course, just as you suggested. But you can you can actually be using WhatsApp through your iPad. I think that's a, a cool one. Yeah, I really think those are fantastic. I mean, we take for granted the fact that you can do messages everything everywhere. But I think you know, so many of us use SMS, and hmm. if you've got family members who are still on hmm. different platform to the one that you you use, so you know, if you, Nokia. Well, I was thinking you know, if Symbian, if all your family use um, iPhone as our family does, but you've you've somebody who uses Android, so you know they're going to message you probably on WhatsApp or something like that. It's a brilliant hack. Hmm. One more thing productivity hack and then i'll turn it over to you guys and this is really silly um video conferencing my top video conferencing Mm -hmm. tip 
I hate video conferencing where you are looking up someone's nose because they're video conferencing you from the laptop on the desk in front of them. Yeah. But of course, we can't all at home or if you're working flexibly, we can't all have fancy standing desks or laptop stands and those sorts of things. Ironing board. Nearly everybody's got an ironing board in their house. Mm. It's the adjustable height table you already own. So sit down in your chair, set your ironing board so that it's next to you up at a height where it's sort of equal with your neck chest height. Set your laptop there. You can plop it in front of you. It's nice and stable. And you look professional. And you could do a video call from that. And it looks Mm. super professional. And you're not then having to pile up boxes or set up custom stands and things. And I, and I know that that is a top tip that particularly if you're caught out and you, you know, you're at a friend's house or you're somewhere else or you don't have access to your desk or something like that, you, know, you are in a house, give that a go. Hotel rooms, brilliant for hotel rooms. The number of times that I have been trying to do a proper grown-up video call a from idea. a hotel room and the desk is you know, tiny and wedged into a corner with no height adjustment and they needed something to lift it up properly. So there you go. There's my tip. Wow. Rafe, what would you go next? Well, I was going to echo that, and you can do that just as well on a phone, just getting that into a, a high service. And you know, people have a temptation to hold their phone in their hand when they're doing video conferences, and there's nothing more disturbing than having that wobbling around the place. But in terms of sort of tips or call hacks, I'm going to echo back to something I said earlier, which in you've got control center mm. on the iPhone, and you've got actually similar in the widget setup on various Android devices as well. There's a surprising amount of customization that can be done there that you can then pull down very quickly from the top. And obviously, it depends on the device we're talking about. Um, On the Samsung Android devices, they kind of have that concept of customizing the notification area. For Apple, I'm really thinking about the control center, and that's adding things like the ability to kick off a screen recording. You can have a QR code scanner, although now I tend to go straight to the camera. There's the magnifier, there's the torch, and actually there's a surprising number of widgets or interesting actions that you can add to Control Center, which for me is one swipe away on any of the home screens. And it's just a bit more useful than sticking loads of widgets, you know, three or four panels to the right. And again, we just encourage people to explore some of the things that exist there because Apple do tend to quietly add things over time. Jan? So I'd like to talk about Siri and Google. And I'd just like to remind everyone that actually your voice recognition is really, really good. I remember trying to book a cinema seat with UCI cinemas, you know, right? And, you know, which cinema would you like to, you know, Brentwood? You said Basildon. No, 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 Brentwood. (laughs) How many tickets would you like? Two. You know, I do my best, two. You said five tickets. <laughs> you booked you know. 17 tickets to the Tottenham Court Road showing of yeah, <laughs> Die Hard. Yeah. It was so annoying. Um, so for the longest time, I just refused to use these things. But the speech recognition is phenomenal nowadays, and especially on device. So are you telling your devices to remind you of things? You're, hey, uh, you know, I don't want to say the phrase right, but you know, remind me too. So I use that a lot, a lot. So I need to remember to put the freezer behind me on after this recording because we have to have it off so I'm buttery smooth and you don't hear the the hum. Lovely. But you know, I, I quickly raise my Apple Watch and tell Siri to remind me to you know, remind me to blah blah blah. And it is very quick, very seamless. I can use it in the car, I use it all the time. Sometimes I'm using Google, sometimes I'm using Apple. I think that's a very helpful 
as I'm running, walking somewhere, doing something, I don't have to write it down. I'll just remind myself and I'll say, look, in, in 20 minutes, in 30 minutes, or at 9 p.m. or at 10 p.m. I'd like to get it even better, you know, when I'm home or when I'm, you know, but that, that, that's just a little bit too advanced. That doesn't tend to work. But uh, I, I think that, remember, you've got that capability. Whichever phone you've got, it has that, you know, activate it and just say, remind me too. I think it's quite useful. Yeah. I think that normalization of voice is something I've sort of experienced during the COVID pandemic, just because it's on my wrist in the case of the watch or my pocket Google Assistant or Siri. And for those quick things like setting reminders, or you want to count down, or you want a quick answer to weather, currency, conversions, and things like that. Yeah. And it's just become what I'd call that kind of asynchronous interface in that you're not having to pick up the phone and do something with it. You can issue a command while you're walking around the room doing something else. Yeah. And yeah, that normalization of voice is definitely something that if you're not doing, it's kind of good to get into. And once you do it, you just accept it. And Alexa in the home is sort of, for most people, it's there, but actually that can extend to wherever you are. So I guess if you're starting to go out a bit, remember that you've got a pretty powerful uh, voice system. It's noticeable that both Google and Apple spoke about that in their respective events recently in terms of starting to push things, you know, whether that's happening with local processing, more features coming in, better recognition. So it feels like that's a, a slowly rising tide that not many people talk about. I've got to talk about any list again here. So when you're in the kitchen and you're cooking and you spot that you're running out of whatever it is you need, we're already in the habit of saying to Amazon's voice assistant, add X to the shopping list. And we never buy it through Amazon. So don't be confused into thinking that because you're adding it to the Echo shopping list, you have to buy it. You don't. It's just a list called shopping. And you can set up any list, which is a really great app, to synchronize with the Amazon service. And now you've got all your groceries in a list on your mobile device, and then you can add things in manually. But I love any list for two reasons. One is it syncs, and it's just worked perfectly for us for years. And there is nothing as powerful as opening the last jar of, I don't know, jam and saying, remind me to get more jam. And then when you sit down to do your online shopping, when I was walking around the stores during the pandemic, when I had to go in and sort of shop in person, it's fantastic. And I really like any list as a place to synchronize them to rather than just a to-do list because there are other apps you can sync because any list smartly categorizes things by the type of product it is. So you go in and you open it up, you say, show me all the fresh veg, show me all the canned goods, show me all the dairy. And what it means is is that I'm looking at the right bit of my shopping list as I'm either ordering the products or I'm going around the store. So absolutely love any list. It is not going to win any awards for being a beautiful app, but it works really well. And I really wish it actually hooked into Siri as elegantly as it does with Amazon's voice assistant, but we use it in the kitchen all the time. And it's fantastic because, you know, as you take the last scrape or as you pull the last box of cereal out of the cupboard, that's mm. the time you want the reminder. And the amount of time it saves us from running around the house making a shopping list before you go and do the shopping, it's a real kind of small change for a quality of life improvement. Let's stick with the quality of life improvements idea then. And Ewan, let's have a talk about things that you do to improve your productivity. So I'm thinking particularly about VPNs. Yeah. I was interested in getting stuff done on devices and why why do you use a VPN on devices? How's that helping you get stuff done? I like the security of it, especially when you're walking in and out of um, different offices. I mean, it's, it's maybe different in COVID times. 
But generally speaking, when I was in and out of different offices, different areas, I just liked the fact that the VPN would automatically activate. So whenever I went onto Wi-Fi, I think that's quite useful. I was wondering, because you are overseas in a place where, you know, sort of you're jumping between hotel Wi-Fi, you're jumping between work Wi-Fi, mm. you're jumping between yes. different countries that have different rules about sort of domestic services and use and those kinds of things, whether or not you used a VPN to sort of make your apps you want work. But actually for you, no, it's more about the security of knowing that your data's all wrapped up. It's just, yeah, and it's, it's also years of the various infrastructure people in the institutions I'm working at screaming, you know, banging it into your mainstream. Make sure you do not use open internet. So even if, the, if you are using Wi-Fi, I like the automatic capability whereby it, it won't give you Wi-Fi unless it can find a, a way through. Now, you can get a bit anal about this kind of stuff, but I, I think it's quite important to keep some balance of security. Do you use a VPN when you're on 3 or 4G, or is it just on Wi-Fi? I will occasionally use it on 4G, but I really worry about the, it's nonsensical, I know, but I worry about the latency overhead. So I'm quite happy to accept that on your hotel Wi-Fi. Yeah. But I, I just, I'd rather get access to the full 4Gs or 3Gs, usually when I'm walking around. So I've got two tips actually in, in that vein. First of all, now I travel internationally less than you do, but I always, always, always have a MiFi, a cheap MiFi mm. hotspot in my bag and i put a little kind of pencil case here i keep a stack of cheap um i'm holding them up for, for the two of you watching at home oh 4g sims yeah i really like the ones from three you can buy a 24 gigabyte preloaded data sim that lasts for 24 months i don't activate it till i need it i leave it in my bag and i can stick it in the my fire whenever it runs out and what that means is that actually I tend not to put up with the hotel Wi-Fi or the vagaries of whatever client office Wi-Fi might be provided because I know that's going to be fast and reliable. And it tends to be, in the places I go, it tends to be faster and better than using whatever Wi-Fi might be provided. So that would be my top tip there. And particularly, I think now the thing that's changed to make that more of a tip is the fact that you can buy very affordable pay-as-you-go data. Yeah. Because previously, I used to, not have a MiFi because I didn't want to pay a monthly subscription for something that I was only going to take out of my bag and use a couple of times. Whereas here now, I can stuff the SIM in, use tens of gigabytes either in a day or over the course of two years. And even if it runs out and I waste a few gigabytes of data, I've only wasted a few pounds worth of money on the SIM because I think the total cost is sort of in the 20 or 30 pounds mark and I buy them from Amazon. So I think now data sims have absolutely become more affordable and particularly the prepay ones love the three one here uh second one do you guys use speedify no what's that he says googling it yeah speedify is like a vpn but it's not for security it's for fastness so what it does is it creates a vpn and it, you can get the speedify app for your phone or you can get speedify client for your computer and it aggregates different connections together so if you are working somewhere where you've got ropey wi-fi but you've got a bit of a 3G signal as well, hmm. and maybe you've got a MiFi. Let's take a laptop as an example. You can plug your phone and the office that you're visiting's Wi-Fi into your laptop, and Speedify will join them all together and will get you the best speed they can by aggregating all of the connections that are available to you. I used this most recently. I went to a friend's house, and they are right out in the middle of nowhere. Their broadband is one megabit. It's you know wet string. Oh dear, yeah. They're not particularly technical, and I'd offered to help them do a massive 
macOS update, you know, to tidy everything up and help them get working. And the update was like seven gigs. It was going to take, you know, months to download. So I plugged my phone, my MiFi, my iPad, and their broadband all into their computer, used Speedify to join them together. And instead of one megabit, I got about 15 megabits aggregating lots of small connections together. Wow. And it still took a long time, but it, it was really manageable. And the nice thing is that obviously as those services come up and down or get faster or slower, Speedify kind of balances the load between them as well. So I always have a Speedify account on the go and um, I sometimes, you know, top it up and put money into it as and when I need to use it. But that's a really good tool to have in your back pocket. So do you, are you a subscriber then of that? So you can subscribe or you can do pay as you go. So what I tend to do is I keep my account going and then as I need to use it, when I have a problem, I then sort of put some prepay credit on and, and burn through that. Wow. So really like Speedify. Is there a Rafe Blanford VPN strategy? Or do you just handcraft your ones and noughts with a quill pen and post them by messenger? <laughs> well, I think I have people doing that for me. Oh, of course, of course he does. Of course, I've looked does. at various things and I have, you know, work configured VPNs that get used quite a bit. And I do have a subscription and I, I can't remember. It's one of the security or privacy enhanced ones, which I will sometimes use. I have to admit, it's been less of a thing in the last year because haven't been traveling, haven't been in offices. And I have the kind of home network set up to be pretty secure at the router level on the network. So everything is better. But uh, like uh, you and kind of having infosec people yelling at you or to do the right thing is probably something I need to pick up. And like Spitify sounds really interesting. So I'll do that. I think the other thing is that I've used as a kind of tip in this area is to use eSIMs when you go abroad, because there was always that thing where you have to go and find a local SIM. And that's less of a problem now that the kind of roaming is such that most of the time you don't have to pay extra. But I was in the um, Faroe Islands, I think it was, a couple of years ago and was able to use uh, eSIM to kind of add in a local one and not be being charged at £10 a megabyte, which found like the bad old days. What service do you use? There are a couple of them. I checked my phone to see if I still had it configured and I didn't. But I will let Ben know and we'll put it in the show notes. But there's actually a number of them. When I came to Oman first, I used UBG, U-B-I-G-I. Yes, and you've talked about that before. Which, they just did the job as eSIM, very quick, done. And for those who don't know, the joy of an eSIM is when you used to go on holidays, you'd come out of the airport arrivals and you'd go over to either the tobacconist stand or the vending machine, depending on the size of the airport you're in. Mm. And you'd buy a prepay SIM card. And I remember we used to do this in Spain, you and we'd get to Barcelona. That's right. Go and buy a prepay SIM card. Mm. Yoigo. Yoigo, or I think when we were feeling really fancy Vodafone. Vodafone, baby. But, you know, loading it up. Because essentially, whilst we still have free roaming inside of Europe and, and other operators offer different tariffs and things, there are still places you can go where data costs could be absolutely eye-watering. And with the UK leaving the EU, there's the chance that some of that regulation will change and, and things could become more expensive in certain places. So, it's worth familiarizing yourself. And the great thing about an eSIM is you don't need the physical chip to put in your phone. You get an app, the app puts a software SIM on your phone, and you're able to use that. Now, you do need a phone that supports eSIMs, but a large number of the modern ones do, both Android and iPhone. And the great thing is you can switch between the SIMs as if you were changing them. And um, certainly, we're not far off the point. And I think some of the apps that Rafe is talking about where you can almost do comparison shopping. You can sit on the mm. airport Wi-Fi, download the eSIM app, choose which one you'd like to buy, choose which package you'd like to buy, 
And if I remember the time in Spain, I used to burn through data really quickly because I would put my credit, put my Euros credit onto my Vodafone Spain SIM card. Mm. And then I would not understand Spanish well enough to not order the data top up that I really wanted and you know, <laughs> yes. get it all wrong. And then I spend all the money. So the nice thing here is as well is that you're able to interact with the service in your native language, which is incredibly useful because you know, being presented with something as complicated as buying a data sim in a language you don't speak, it can be quite challenging. Okay, we should move on. I want to talk about money. I think we started to talk about money. So I want to talk about money. Rafe Blanford, do you have any personal finance? He doesn't talk about money. They don't talk about money. He doesn't talk about money. No, not, not the Blanfords. He's like the Queen. He doesn't carry money either. Exactly. So I think um, given your non-cash carrying status, give us a personal finance or a money-based mobile tip. Uh, that's a good one because, you know, as you said, I don't use it. <laughs> I think it's now the fact that my Apple Watch has become my default wireless payment mechanism. And for a while it was the phone, but now I've just got so used to using watch and it's pretty easy to switch between cards and actually now started going back onto public transport. So having one that you specify for public transport and can kind of easily do that, that would be my payment tip. I mean, everyone else will talk about kind of fintech apps and things like that, but just for the thing that saves me time day in, day out. And I've now got to the point where I'm confident enough to go out without having a card with me mm. and we'll just use Apple Pay. And I think that's living in the London bubble a little bit. And occasionally you run into a bit of a problem with that. But it has surprised me how easy it has been to not just go cashless, but go walletless altogether. And like for longer periods, yeah, sure, I have that with me. But some of the time now, it's like, just don't think about it, it just happens. See, in Denmark, you could do that quite easily because you could, I think I'm right in saying you can technically buy a car with your Apple Pay because there wasn't a limit. Whereas in UK, there is that, what is it, £40 limit? Well, I think actually that COVID has changed that. So there was a contactless limit if you use a card of £45, I believe. Yeah. The listeners will correct us if we're wrong, but it was a fraud thing that it kept the transaction volume low. But I think during COVID, with the big emphasis on please use contactless, I've been to loads of places now that have said, oh, you can pay contactless, or if you've got a phone, you can pay the whole amount. Uh, and everybody knows now you can pay more on Apple Pay, Google Pay, Samsung Pay. They don't necessarily understand why, and it's because you're authenticated. It's because you do you know, a face ID or something akin to it, but it lets you make large transactions. And in my experience, I haven't yet hit the upper transaction volume in everyday life for grocery shopping, transport, you know, clothes, whatever we've needed to buy. I don't know if you could buy a car on Apple Pay here, but certainly you can make some pretty large transactions. And mm. again, I think it's not the fact it's changed. It's the fact that the person in the shop isn't going to give you a bunch of grief about, oh, no, 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 you know, your shopping is £75. Yeah. Don't try and use contact list because everyone knows now it's on a big plastic sticker next to the contact list reader. Yes. You know, card limit this. Yes. Please use Apple Pay or Samsung Pay or Google Pay and it'll be better. So I think that is really good. Interesting. If you're a, um, an Apple Watch user, my top tip would be, in a quiet weekend, sit down and make sure you've loaded all your cards. Yeah. Because I went through all the hassle of loading all my preferred cards onto my iPhone, went out and then realised that that didn't mean they were on my watch by default. No. So You've got to verify them again, haven't you? Go through that admin. Yeah. It's worth doing. Just while you and McLeod is wrestling with his tip, another one, and it, it's an app and service curve app, it's a payment card that diverts transactions to other cards you might have. 
I blow hot and blow cold about this because I've, they've had some customer service issues in the past. Mm. But if you are not able to use something like rapid transit that Rafe talked about, where when you scan your phone, it goes onto your preferred card for going on the tube in London, for example, or in mass transit in the other cities, you can use something like Curve. It goes through the Curve card system, and then you can use their app later to reprofile the transaction and put it on a different card. So if you accidentally do a business transaction on your personal card, you can say, oh, undo it and move it, please. And it's a really good hack to let you move your transactions around, which is handy. So, you and McLeod, there you go. I've padded enough. What would you like to uh, your money hack? Well, no, thank you. Thank you. I was, I was ready. Very impressive. Um, I'll, I'll give you a, a, one example. I'm a, I'm a big neobank user and traditional bank user in the UK. But in the UK, there's a service I've been playing with called Plum. Uh, it's new. It feels like six months old, uh, at least for me anyway. And uh, you plug it into your bank account with open banking in the UK, and then it starts to look at your transactions. And then you can do a number of interesting things with it. It's the kind of thing that I've always heard people at conferences talk about. You know, it'd be great with open banking because apps could do this, right? Well, they've actually done it. So I'll give you an example. There is a savings capability, and you can then you can set aside, uh, have it set aside money for you. It will do roundups. I think we're quite familiar with roundups, you know, round up the, the transactions to the nearest pound and then take the pennies. It will do paydays, right? So it will uh, spot when you're getting paid and then it will take, you know, it will save, you know, 15 pounds, 50 pounds, whatever on your payday when you're feeling flush. It will do rainy days. So it will set aside some money whenever it rains, which in the UK is quite often. <laughs> you'd, right? you'd be a millionaire. Yeah. It's really good. Basically, it says, whenever it rains, I'll save some money for you, right? Yeah, it says, uh, yeah, five pounds. It might save save some money for me. I, I don't really know how it works, but I just like the fact it does it. If you are a Monzo user, and I know quite a lot of people who are listening to this are, and, and you don't have to change over to your main bank, you know, but if you're a Monzo user, you can do a similar thing. So you can connect your Monzo cards to If This Then That, which is that kind of online kind of cool. service that allows you to make rules for your life. And I've seen an example, they do a similar thing. You can have the weather be the trigger and on a day when it rains, mm. put a pound in my rainy day pot and you can set rules like that. I should do that, yeah. And that is really handy. The other thing I do, which is similar, but I use Monzo to do this, is when I get paid, I want to put the family money, the money I, I'm going to put into the family accounts for all the mortgage and the household stuff. Mm. I want that to go straight away. I don't want to accidentally touch that. That's got to be mm. hived off. And so I use Monzo to process my income once a month. It grabs that money, sets it off to the side as a separate piece. And it is really so relaxing to know that I'm never looking at an account not knowing if all of that money is mine to spend. Yeah, can I use that or not? Exactly. One of my favorite features is the 52-week challenge. And it says, I can help you save £1,378 in a year. I love this, yeah. Are you ready? I'll set aside £1 in your first week, £2 in your second week, three pounds a week after and so on okay and what it does is it just takes a direct debit it does this all so now and again I, it, it pops up gives you a notification it's one of the only notifications i allow on my iphone and then i see the direct debits changing all the time every week from uh, from monzo i just like how they're they're, they're using this stuff so I, I all the money it takes i then put it into an investment pot within plum just playing with it i like it so i, I think as you're highlighting there, there there are quite a lot of cool tools out there and even if you're not listening from the UK, you know, have a look, go onto the App Store or do, do a quick Google because 
there are, there will be, generally speaking, fintech. Fintech services like this in your neck of the woods somewhere on the planet. Useful to see what they've got, have a play with them. So I, I think this is quite interesting. Here's what I do, and I'm trying to remember how I say stuff. I think it's with this, if this, then that. So in the UK, when we used to go to the office, you remember that? Oh, yeah. I can go places. <laughs> I have a season ticket, and that means that when my train is late, I automatically get a refund of a certain number of pounds for my late train. Right. It's processed automatically because I have a season ticket, and therefore they have my bank details. You used to have to apply for it, but now you get it automatically. And I have a rule that says when I get a refund on my train ticket because I got home late, I put it into a little savings account and I use it to buy my son a treat because ah. I wasn't home for dinner. And I love the idea of like he gets the benefit of that. You know, I was late, but that means that I wasn't home to have dinner or to say goodnight to him or whatever. That's nice. That's very nice. So I hive that money off. And sure, I could do it manually. But I like the idea it's just sort of automatic little flow. That's nice. I also do the roundup as well. So every transaction on Monzo is rounded up, goes into a little savings pot, and it's like invisible saving. Never think about it. It's just a few pence here, a few pence there. Yeah. That's really great. And I love that because to have surprise money. Really nice. You know, it's great for a a treat. You know, shall we have pizzas? Yes, let's use the surprise money, you know, the treat money. Okay. Let's have another tip then. Rafe Blanford, have you got anything for me? Uh, let's see, what have I got in the uh, list that we handily put together earlier? Um, maybe we could talk about things that we've started doing in COVID that we've actually think we're going to maintain and some things that we don't. So on previous uh, episodes, I've talked about magazines and the fact that I have subscribed to paper copies of them and it was a little bit old-fashioned and mocked and then it turned out that actually people quite like the recommendation. Mm. But what I've been doing now that, again, this is uh, starting to travel a little bit more, it's not always the easiest thing to take the paper magazine with you. And a lot of the subscriptions I went for was like, yeah, pay a couple of pounds extra and you get the digital version as well, or it gets thrown in, and particularly on the back catalogue. So on the basis of that, I've actually installed quite a few apps that have made it onto either my home screen or my second screen Mm. because I'm using them quite a bit. And that's the. HBR, the Harvard uh, Business Review. Of course. But then also the uh, MIT Technology Review. And they both have apps where you can, as an added benefit, download the magazines and read them offline. And one of the bits of traveling I do is on a train line which has very intermittent signal. And I used to use my Kindle a lot on that. But actually, sometimes I just want this kind of shorter form content. And have been going back through some of the older magazines, the back issues, and reading those and so on your phone if you are subscribing to things like that sometimes it's worth checking because actually there's loads and loads of content that you can go back and read and for a lot of them it's still quite relevant or there's an interesting opinion or you can do on a search on a topic that you're interested in so um that is one thing that's kind of evolved out of a covid habit of kind of wanting a bit more to read and that was sort of if i'm honest a, a partly a boredom and a time available thing And I don't think I'd have changed my reading behavior or read some of those kind of traditional curated dead tree magazines if I hadn't done that. And so that has decreased my time on things like Reddit and some of the other more ephemeral kind of content. It's still there, but that's just a tip I would give if you have subscribed to a magazine or you're thinking about that being interesting. It's worth checking the value you can get out of a combined paper or physical and digital subscription. Jörn, how about you? 
Well, okay, staying in the same topic there, Rafe, I, I, especially during the Trump era, I think I, it's really, really useful getting some, uh, as close to independent analysis as I could possibly get on what's going on in the various marketplaces. So I chose a while ago, this was before COVID. I mean, could Trump era still, yeah, okay, maybe it's during COVID as well, where I thought, right, I, I do want to make sure I've got access to way different opinions. So I'm a subscriber to Guardian, to Washington Post, New York Times, Bloomberg, Financial Times. And these add up quite quickly, the cost of this. And then uh, Wall Street Journal from uh, Apple News. And I, I use the Apple News app a lot, Telegraph and the Times here in the UK. And then I, I will read the same story or the same item of news, typically, but from three or four different perspectives and to, to try and get some degree of balance on what's actually going on or what, what's the perspective then. You know, throw in the economist and then get a very different approach. So I, I've really enjoyed doing that, especially during Trump stroke COVID, just to try and get an idea on the news. Wow. So news wise, so this is uh, not particularly mobile, but I'm going to forgive myself and do this anyway. So if like me, actually all three of us, we tend to sort of be in consulting type roles, mm. even when we're permanent employees, we're always sort of in project or consulting type roles. And so I have always told the young consultants working with me, a great way to really you know, sort of stay on top of stuff is to use Google Alerts as much as you can, Google News Alerts. Right. And so I have to say, I, I subscribed to loads and then got overwhelmed and never read them. So I've settled on the FT as a kind of a covers enough of the things I care about without mm. loads of subscriptions. But I wanted to turn it around. I didn't want to rely on the time I had available to do reading because I'm spending less time on the train now. That was my reading time. Mm. So I didn't want to rely on reading time to do that. So I go into Google Alerts and I set up a whole bunch of keywords for the project I'm working on, the client I'm working on, the technology I'm interested in, the news alert. And a good idea. I keep that reasonably well up to date. And then that means that Google News Alerts sends me an email with those things as they pop up in the news. And it allows me to sort of be proactively informed about stuff. And it's twofold. One is, oh, I might read an interesting news article about I don't know, everyone knows I'm working on passports, so I might read an interesting news article about passports. Right. But also, I might suddenly get 50 emails about passports. And I go, well, that in itself is an interesting thing, that there's a lot of activity, a lot of talk about passports now, because there's a lot of news articles, and they might all be reporting it. But it's one thing to know an interesting fact. It's another thing to know the spread of the media that's talking about it. And so, you know, it'll vary for people in different jobs. But if you have a profession or a skill set or a, pro a professional body or there's a kind of a topic that you need to stay appraised of, I think, you know, actually Google Alerts is an incredible free service. Yeah. The other thing you can do if you want to, if you've got a news service, I use Zapier, which is my favorite little hacky tool, and I ingest a bunch of RSS feeds of news. They tend to be BBC News because BBC News you can get via RSS feeds, mm. and I filter those out with keywords. So I get some sort of bespoke RSS BBC News feeds that I use, but I tend only to use those when I'm particularly looking for something of interest. But like I say, those are two techniques to get, you know, good, interesting news to help you do it more quickly. And, uh, you know, like I say, being email and web-based, it works really well on a phone, you know, do it over breakfast. Okay, dokie. We're just coming up to running out of time. So I think I just want to do one more suggestion, completely unstructured. Of all the things that we've got left on our list, pick the thing that you like best. Recommendation, tip, cool thing, don't mind. 
I will go first to give you a chance to decide out of your favourite ones. And this is really low tech, but I love it. Stacked widgets on iOS. What are stacked widgets, I hear you ask? Indeed. It's where you put one widget on top of another widget. Well, why would I want to do that? That's ridiculous because I don't want to have one widget obscuring another because how do I know if I want to look at that or the other one? And the place I think this is brilliant to do is things like weather apps. I want to both have a view of will it rain in the next hour and also what's the weather forecast for the week. But I don't want my whole home screen to be taken up with two weather widgets. So I stack multiple widgets from the same app on top of each other And it means on my home screen, I can see our week summary. One, two, three, scroll up, scroll up, scroll up. Oh, that's nice. And I I assume Google does the same, but on iOS, because Siri remembers which widgets you were looking at when, it will flip the screen over to the one it thinks you're most likely to want. So right now, if I look at my home screen, it's telling me the forecast for the week because it's the end of the day. Mm. And my wife and I are typically talking over dinner about what are we going to do this weekend or does my son need to go to school with his raincoat or his long trousers or short trousers tomorrow? It's real, really boring, mundane stuff. But in the morning, it flips it over to the hour ahead, which is if we're walking to school, you know, will we need an umbrella for the walks to school? Mm. So you can do that. And I am double proper nerdy because I have widgets from different weather apps stacked on top of each other because I like the hourly view from one app and the weekly view from another app. Stick them on top of each other. And you don't ever need to touch the apps. You can just scroll through the widgets and use them like that. There you go. That's my proper nerdy cool hack. Ref Blanford, you're next. Oh, that's a good one. I'm going to stay with widgets and just say there are a few more of the third-party apps that are coming out all the time. And it's often worth checking the widgets to see what's been added in a kind of silent app update. Because if you're like me, you probably have app updates going on all the time. One of the ones I've been using a lot recently is uh, Things, but there's also Outlook ones as well. And yes, I use those stacked widgets for the same reason. And actually, some of it is I'm not too worried about being seeing something or being alerted to something. It is just about preservation of screen real estate. And the other thing that I've sort of trained myself to do recently, which I think I might regret because I think it's going to go away, is trying to use the force touch on icons. So where you can pop up and have a menu appear, and particularly for things like WhatsApp and some of the others where you can get into writing an email quickly or those kind of shortcuts. So I think one of the things that's come out through this whole episode is kind of love of shortcuts or things that can make you just do something a little bit quicker. So that would be my last one. Yeah, I think force touch is going away, but I think press and hold isn't. I think the thing is you'd be able to just press and hold and it'll be yeah. on a long press and hold. Yeah, rather than... Okay, uh, you and McLeod, last one. Mm. Uh, right, so I've got an amalgamation here. So we have a while ago talked about notifications switch them all off challenge yourself to switch as many of them off as possible i've done that and thanks to to you ben i think uh, you were you were really talking about that a while ago and it's it's really fantastic it's, it's quite calming yes look at me i'm so zen yeah, and calm so zen, <laughs> yes. and also i have a bee in my bonnet british phrase about efficiency now and again, right? So I always have multiple screens, whether it's uh, at the office or at home. I like to have dual screen or three screens so that I'm not minimizing apps, bringing apps up and down. So I I like efficiency. And then what I do is I I, I continually catch myself going, oh yeah, where is Instagram? And it's four pages away to the bottom right. You know how you do this, right? And they think, 
I really should move this as I'm going flick, flick, flick. I just wanted to, to say, well, I need to take some, some of my own medicine. And that is spend five minutes. Spend five minutes and save 20 minutes a day when you're trying to find these apps. So what apps are you using often? You know the ones. Put them all on the front page, right? Because I, I see this with myself. I see it with my office colleagues, family members where, you know, they, they're flick, 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 or not even using the search, you know. So I think we can all get a little bit more efficient. And I, I am the first to, to need to do that. I've just taken all of the apps that aren't on my home screen and my work screen. I've got a home screen, which is prim- you know, convenience, and a work screen, which is tools. Everything else has gone in that kind of big app library, and I just search for it now. And it's just yeah. easier. Yeah. I used to spend hours you know, so making you down screens yes. and screens and screens, yes. all nicely yes. ordered by, you know, kind of, oh, it's my photo screen, and here's my audio one, and here's my music players, and here's my room. No, don't bother. It saved acres. It's even better. Can I have one bonus one? Oh, go on, man. Yes, go on. Go on. Um, yeah. And it's not mobile, but I'm so pleased with myself about having found this. <laughs> I'm just going to basically break the rules. So during COVID, we've all spent a ton of time on video conference calls all the time. Yes. And one of the biggest problems we've all been joking about has been, you're on mute. Mm. You're on mute. Oh, you started talking and you're on mute. And there's been a bunch of sort of solutions to deal with that. My problem is that things like Zoom, things like Teams, as soon as you move your mouse away from that window, all of the window decoration goes away. The video keeps playing, but I can't see clearly whether I'm muted or not. And some apps will show you with a little dot or a little tick or something like that. But if you use lots of apps like I do, you lose the memory of where to look. So I've been looking and looking and looking for a way to control the mute status of my video conferencing app and also to know what it is. and across multiple apps. And I finally found one I'm really pleased with. So I, I want to talk about Mute Sync. Okay. And I'll put a link in the show notes. It's a Mac and a Windows app. You install it on your computer and it recognizes a whole bunch of different video conferencing services. And it shows you a red or a green microphone up in your taskbar. And it tells you, am I muted or not? It doesn't matter which of the video conferencing services you are. It tells you all the time. That's nice. And it's not the hacky one. I Previous to this, I had one that said, just mute my Mac, you know, mute all the microphones on my Mac just by using the Mac feature. But then I didn't appear to be muted to my colleagues on Teams. So I wanted one where they could see I was muted because, you know, you know, at the beginning of the meeting, everyone says mute, you know, as a courtesy, please, everyone mute who's not talking. Yes, exactly. So I absolutely love Mute Sync. It's actually a companion app intended to work with a button, you know, which is a physical button to mute and unmute, which they're selling. And I have ordered one of these, but actually the software works without the button. You can just click it on and off and it syncs with Teams, it syncs with Zoom, it syncs with WebEx. Some it syncs with the web version or the app, but it's really powerful. I'm using it now. I've got it in front of me. The color scheme they use is red means your mic is live, green means you're muted. I think in time they'll let you customize that because this is very early generation. Absolutely love it. And I've just been found myself making far fewer mistakes by starting to try and make my contribution to meetings while it's muted. It's something I'm just going to leave in my taskbar all the time. Absolutely love it because I think we're going to keep working remotely and doing lots more video conferencing even after we return to the office. Yes. And it's a cracking little app. And it's really clever because what they've done is put the work into doing all of these integrations. You know, they've actually done hard yards of integrating with all of these different products. Yes. So absolutely love it. Mute sync. 
go and buy one of their buttons, but also get the free app. You don't have to um, pay any money for it whatsoever. It's a little rough around the edges, but it is the only one I've found that works. Absolutely love it. There you go. Great. My final COVID top tip that I'm super chuffed with. Okie dokie, right, gentlemen. Uh, thank you very much. A fun, uh, nostalgic slash back to the basics episode. Mm. When we started talking about doing a nostalgia episode, I thought we might go back to sitting in the corner of a noisy conference suite while somebody tries to run a media event while we try and podcast. Do you remember those where we tried to I do. record episodes at a press conference or at a media event? Those were the days. I don't miss editing the audio quality of those. So thank you if you've uh, hung around. Can we ask the audience? Absolutely. I'd like to know what their earliest app was or is. I'm going to go one better. I want their earliest app. I want the one they've used the longest. And I want a top tip that's better than ours. So if you've got any of those things. Yes, come on, come on. I think they can They can do this. They can do this. Write in yeah. on Twitter at 361podcast. You can DM us. You can email us through the website, 361podcast.com. We'll let you comment publicly or send us a message privately. Love to hear your top tips, including you know what gizmos, what hacks, what configurations, what power user stuff do you do that you want to show off to everyone else. And we will do a follow-up episode soon. Yes, please. As ever, thanks to everyone who supports the show. If you want to support the cost of production for the show, 361podcast.com slash support, and you can support us through Patreon from $1 per episode. We will be going back to regularly scheduled Clever Thinking programming next week, and I think you, McLeod, we are <laughs> ready to do another delivery challenge. Oh, yes. So I think next week we're setting ourselves up for a race. Yes. Uh-oh. Mm. A global a global yeah. race over two, was it two continents, three locations, and probably just one type of Mars bar. Yes. So yes, we're, we're going to be doing a follow-up. We really enjoyed last week testing out the on-demand delivery services. Really think this is a mobile product that's going to have a lot of press interest and a lot of attention over the next months and years. And we're going to move on from just testing the fancy new ones in London. And that's right. You and you're going to try something in Amman. I'm going to try the best delivery service available to me in the back end of Hampshire. Yes. And Rafe Blanford is going to pick another London-based delivery service to bring him yet another wheelbarrow of chocolate. That's right. A new one. We'll see how do they work, which works well, and does it matter? Like, are the on-demand services that are making a big thing of 10 or 15-minute delivery, are they actually better? than the half an hour or the one hour services that some of us have had for a while. Mm. We will see. So as ever, welcome your feedback, welcome your suggestions. We need questions for one question, three answers, which is coming up again later in the series. So please get those into us. Had some great ones recently. I think we've got plenty, but always welcome more. And when I see several questions that are of a similar topic, that's when we know that we've got a cracker. So let us know what you want. Thank you very much, gentlemen. Thank you. And we will be back in a fortnight. Bye-bye. There you go. You don't hear from Alicia Keys much nowadays, but her name still opens doors. <laughs> All right. I only like to read out generous and kind inheritance trusts. I'm a goodwill ambassador. No, maybe not. A Roman legionnaire walks up to a bar, holds up two fingers and says, five beers, please. That's good. Like that. I've uh, started a new business, actually, offering to tie the laces of uh, old age pensioners. Uh, now, don't tell anyone this, but I managed to get it registered as a not-for-profit. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Great. I tried to catch fog yesterday. Missed. <laughs> I've started a global campaign to embarrass drivers who hog the outside lane by passing them on the hard shoulder. It's a massive undertaking. Uh, yeah, the oldies <laughs> are the goodies. <laughs> uh.
I remember when I was a teenager. My, oh, jeez. God. I remember yep. when I was a teenager, my friends encouraged me to support the entire weight of a seaside jetty just on my shoulders. I was under extreme peer pressure that day. <laughs> <laughs> there we go. These are actually quite cool. Yeah. Thank you. What do you oh. call a dog with no legs? Uh, duh. Doesn't really matter. It's not going to come anyway. <sighs> this is one for you. Uh, you're in a little bit of local yeah. flavour here. Okay. I had a dream last night. I released my dad's old hot air balloon over Hampshire. Mm-hmm. It's been going over and over in my mind all day. Oh. <laughs> and over. Yeah, okay. over being a small city in Hampshire. Town. Has it got a cathedral? I don't know. There's a number of countries are imposing sanctions on my pet weasel after he gave some money to a little dog for a charity drumming marathon he's doing amid accusations of Stoat-sponsored terrier rhythm. Oh, <laughs> I just know. That is quite a say. I told you I found a list. It's not me, because I did zero takes last week. I think it's Rafe Plant. Ooh. Hello. Is that why he's been so quiet? Because he's been typing it for the last... Hello and welcome to 361, where we answer podcast. three questions with one answer. No, three answers with five questions. Five questions, one answer. Four and a half questions, but three answers. No. Where Mark simply makes me speak. (laughs) The poor man rings me sometimes and just says, do you know what he's done? And then I have to guess what particular mistake we've made this week. That's no way to talk about Ewan. Mm. Come on, that's not me. It's how he speaks about Ewan. (laughs) Because that week, (laughs) Brave Blanford, you were on the naughty step. But there again, I was on the naughty step for not having three times you said the same intro and got it wrong three times. (laughs) Right then, do you, want to, do you want to do a trial pass? Yep. Minus one takes. Yeah, go on. Hello, and welcome to 361, a podcast about mobile tech and the world around it. Episode six, and this week, we're sharing an eclectic selection of our favourite mobile tips with a tinge of app nostalgia. Lovely. There you go. I think that'll do. Thanks, Mark. It's annoyingly good. Yeah. Super duper. I've been practising mm. a lot. <laughs> <laughs> I worry about what we've done to you over the years. So do I. I mean, between you and the job, I basically turned from, you know, an innocent, young, naive person into like a cynical, hard-bitten... Somebody who's blogging about Nokia phones in their underpants. <laughs> I do miss blogging my underpants on days like this where it's really, really hot. I don't have an opinion about that. I think it's just best we leave that theme and move on. <laughs> <It's>... <laughs> 